Praise the Lord. Appreciate that uh, uh, ministry tonight. Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 7, and we will go there in the Word of God. I want to encourage you to uh, make yourself available to let God use you over the next week as we get involved in our haunted house. Uh, if you could take some flyers, invite people out to that, uh, uh, serve in some capacity this weekend, and then, of course, next Wednesday night, uh, we will be outside ministering to our community, and we need your help. And let's not forget, church, your priority is winning souls. And thank God that some of these things are fun and everything else, but our aim is to get people saved. Amen. Turn your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 7. I want to read from the Word of God. This is a passage of Scripture I've been uh, pondering uh, for some time, and, uh, and uh, I hope that this helps you. I believe it will this evening. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Pastor Wade Schultz was here last week for our, uh, our Bible conference, or a couple of weeks ago, and he had recently returned from Eastern Europe. He and Lisa had gone to minister in Romania and in the nation of Moldova. Now, some of you may remember Pastor John Dumas. He, was, he held a tremendous revival for us uh, a couple of years ago, and he and his wife are now missionaries in Moldova. And uh, uh, Pastor Schultz was telling me uh, that when he was in Moldova, they would uh, drive around. This is an obscure Eastern European country. That as they're driving down the road, he began to notice something. And that is that marijuana plants grow wild all over Moldova. Pastor Schultz uh, used to be an old doper before he became a Marine and then a Christian. And he said that he was driving and he just began to notice the vegetation. And he goes, That's mar- those, those are marijuana plants. And uh, uh, John Dumas said, oh yeah, that stuff grows wild over here everywhere. And so, I don't know if Wade was having a flashback, but I mean, he began to just look at all these stuff and plants and everything, and, and they pulled over on the side of the road, and he just began to, he said, I pulled the biggest marijuana buds I'd ever seen. And, and he was looking at all this marijuana. Don't worry, he didn't backslide or anything like that. But Pastor Dumas said to him, you know, in Moldova, nobody smokes marijuana. There's no attraction. There's no market. Uh, there's no, nobody smokes it. Uh, to them, it's just a weed. It'd be like you and I smoking blue bonnets. <laughs> Although I bet somebody here probably tried that, you know. <laughs> it's just a weed. It's just with stuff that grows on the side of the road. And so when he began to tell me that, I started thinking how, how strange that that same weed in America is so coveted. I haven't smoked marijuana since before I was saved. Let me say that again. Since before I was saved, 33 and a half years ago, and I remember what things cost back then. But here in America, think about the money that is spent. How many guys are in prison selling or smuggling it. We have the drug traffickers, all the, the, the narco traffic that is involved here and everything that is associated with the lust for drugs and the marijuana. You got the foolish little 13-year-old who thinks they've discovered uh, something new because they learned about marijuana. You have all these dynamics here in America And then you go over to Moldova and the thing is growing on the side of the road and nobody wants it. 
And I believe that it highlights what I want to preach on tonight. There's something very appealing about that which is forbidden. In their mind, where it is just a weed and you no, no attraction, here in America, where it is forbidden, marijuana has taken on an object of worship and idolatry. Because there's something inside of us, we are attracted to the forbidden. Shakespeare said, curiosity killed the cat. I want to talk to you tonight about the power of the forbidden. Sermon I've entitled, Curiosity Killed the Cat, Romans 7, verse 5. Now, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying here because he says some very profound truths that are insight into the human personality. He said, when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. Verse 8 says, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Verse 11. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Look at verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Father, I ask you tonight to illuminate these words into our understanding. I pray, give us victory. And God, I ask today, Lord, especially for freedom from those who right now are bound by the law, bound by desire. God, help us to serve the law of Christ and not the law of sin and death. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. Now, let's begin and look at the lure of the forbidden tonight. And so, remember the book of Romans is a lawyerly argument for the gospel. The apostle Paul um, lays out an argument um, for uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in its early chapters. He makes the case that we're all sinners. It doesn't matter if you're a pagan or if you're religious. Uh, We all have a sinful nature. Remember that Paul is primarily writing to Roman Jews. There was a large Jewish colony in Rome, and these people were a bit put off by Paul and by Christianity because in their mind, uh, here we are living in Rome, adhering to Jewish law, and you're judging us as if we're as evil uh, as all of those wicked sinners, um, and you're condemning us. And so in chapter 6 through 8, the apostle Paul 
turns the argument and begins to describe the difference uh, between being religious uh, and being a Christian. How many know there's a difference between being religious and being a Christian? He is writing to people who acknowledge God, who have a system of beliefs, uh, and observe rules uh, and laws. These are people that uh, say, we know there's a God, we believe him, we have a system of belief, um, we observe him, a code of law and ceremony. Um, and Paul says, yes, you can do all that without becoming a Christian. And the power of faith um, and the life of God working inside of a believer. Um, and Paul is making the case in these three chapters that there's a difference, let me say it again, uh, between being a religious person and being a Christian. And the reason why I emphasize that is I have every confidence in a group this size. There are people here who think you're a Christian because you've been religious all your life. Um, listen to me tonight for a few minutes. Because what he does here is he begins to give us some insight into the human personality. Um, our scripture says, listen to these words, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work. Verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me. Verse 13, sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Or Paul says uh, that it is possible to have the law and know the law, and rather than the law producing in you righteousness, it actually has the opposite effect. It causes you to have greater problems. That the law produced, Paul says, sinful desire, that the law actually aroused a greater longing for sin. It made sin exceedingly sinful, and it begins to give us a little bit of insight that when our sinful nature tell us not to do something, and now we want to do it. Draw a line and say, you can't cross this line, and that triggers something in us to want to cross the line. And so we begin to see people that have all manner of a, a, they have a sense of right and wrong. They have a code of conduct, rules to live by, and yet now uh, they long to break the rule. They long to do what they're not supposed to do. Something inside of them is now attracted to the forbidden. That this is something that works inside of us. Uh, and let's be honest tonight, every one of us, we hate to be told what to do. You ever seen a little child, a two-year-old child, little toddler? They're the funnest age when they're about one or two. Uh, and uh, they're like little footballs. You can just knock them down. Uh, and, uh, they're barely, and, and they'll come over to an electric socket. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, they'll, and, you'll, and you'll say to them, don't do that. And how many know the moment you tell them not to do that, they look at you and then they do it again? And no, don't do that. And the more you tell them not to do something, you are triggering something in them. Uh, and then to want to do that, to want to go across the line to the, the thing that is now forbidden becomes the attraction. It becomes that which is now altogether more appealing. We see this working in society. Movies are made, forbidden love, dangerous desire, and on and on this idea that now that we can't do it, now I want to do it. Psychologists call this repression. This is the idea that the more you hold something back, 
the more it becomes a more a powerful desire in you. The more that you repress, the more that you say, I don't want to do this. I better not do this. I don't want to do this. Uh, and that the more we do that, uh, the greater the desire and the longing becomes to want to do the very thing you don't want to do. Every once in a while, you'll read in the media about somebody snapping or you'll read about some person that is uh, 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 an upstanding person of the community, a responsible husband, father, wife, or mother, uh, and then you'll read about them uh, being caught in some, some uh, horrible situation uh, where they have totally destroyed their testimony, brought disgrace upon themselves and everybody around them, uh, and you're sitting there and you're saying, how could a man of responsibility, how could a woman that knows better be caught uh, in that situation? Uh, I'll tell you why because it's repression, because the impulses and the urges inside of them uh, were working and they knew it was across the line, but that began to be the attraction. I don't want the the normal. I don't want the acceptable. I don't want to walk down the well-worn paths of righteousness. You tell me I can't do it. Now I want to do it. And Paul describes this and says, sin took occasion by the law. Sin saw that, that uh, we people were living under a code uh, of conduct um, and what sin did, it seized that and began to say, you want what you cannot have and what you're not allowed to have. The message translation says, so sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. The law, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without the law, sin looked pretty dull and lifeless, and I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hands on the law and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled and fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up. Proverbs 9, 17 says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. These are the words of the harlot. The Bible says it sits in the high place and speaks to all that pass by. Stolen waters are sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. In other words, her appeal is the forbidden fruit. Her appeal, her attraction is this is secret and stolen. This is what you're not supposed to do. This is what you're not allowed to do. And because you're not allowed to do it, it is now pleasant. It is now sweet because it is now across the line. Now, the classic example tonight, of course, is in the Garden of Eden and the beguiling of the inn. Eve is placed in a garden of complete blessing and provision except for one law, one rule. That rule that you can eat of every tree in the garden but this one. Eve sees this and she begins to focus and it becomes a place of attraction. The forbidden now becomes something far more appealing than all the supply that she has. Something about crossing the line. Something about doing what you're not supposed to do. Began to dominate her. her. The Bible says the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. And curiosity killed the cat. The idea that you can go across the line and now I just want what I'm not supposed to have. Let me talk to you tonight, secondly, about the power of perspective. 
because you and I must have a right view of the laws of God. See, here's the problem, church, is people understand this. uh, And so in their mind, they say, well, if the law incites sinful desire in me, then I should get rid of the law. What's the point? We shouldn't have that because uh, uh, it only causes problems. You're going to hear that argument if you haven't already from people that say, oh, yeah, that's why church people are such hypocrites uh, because they all live repressed lives. uh, And so that's why they they go out and do these terrible things. Uh, It's it's the law's fault. We shouldn't have laws and rules uh, to live by. And Paul speaks to that in verse 7. What shall we say then is the law sin? Certainly not. Right now we're in an election season and there's a guy running for the Libertarian Party. When I think libertarian, I think nudist colony. This, in other words, I'm going to do whatever I want um, and libertarians will come along um, and, and basically uh, their, 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 their main uh, uh, campaign uh, 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 promise is smoke all the weed you want. Their big thing is the, well, you know, yeah, you're right, Pastor. Look what the drug laws have created. I know some of you are thinking that because I talked about Maldai. You're trying to tell us not to have drug laws. The law's not the problem. The problem is the human heart. And the libertarians will say, yeah, that's it. Get rid of all the laws. Uh, you shouldn't have laws against drugs. Uh, you shouldn't make a big deal about who marries whom or, or whether they stay married or their faith. On and on. You know, this, this, this all just, let's just all do our own thing and act like we're at Woodstock. The problem is not the law. The law is good. Somebody said the law is the light that reveals how dirty the room is, not the room that sweeps it clean. Paul says, if I didn't have a law, I wouldn't even know that I did something wrong. Erwin Lutzer said his rules are best for mankind, and these moral laws are a reflection of his nature, imposed on a universe which he created, a universe which functions best when his laws are obeyed. Listen. I can tell you something. Your life is much better when you walk according to God's law than when you disobey God. The Ten Commandments, beloved, are a path to live by. If you want your life to succeed, uh, just walk down the path that he has lighted. There is no other God. Don't bow down to idols. And begin to go through the command. Every one of them uh, are not some cruel uh, You have to do this and you have to listen, beloved. It is a safe path so you don't mess your life up. Psalms 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise to simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The problem tonight is not God's commandment, it is our perspective. Listen to me tonight for a moment. Because when you begin to look at this dilemma of people where the law has forbidden something, so now they long for the forbidden. The problem is not the law, it is how you perceive things. And I want to ask you a question tonight. Is God, who is a lawgiver, a dictator or a deliverer this evening? Is he a dictator or a deliverer? How do you view the commandments of God? Do you look at God's laws as oppressive? As a source of grief and frustration? 
Do you view living for God tonight and the fact that as a Christian you have to live a, a certain way as some sort of a legalistic, oppressive uh, uh, burden that is now put on you uh, as a Christian? I've seen people that will come to an altar and they'll pray and immediately they want to know, can I still go to dances? Or in other words, in their mind, all right, I'm a Christian. Okay, what are the rules here? In their mind, God is a lawgiver. He is a dictator, a tyrant, uh, who's simply saying you got to do this and you got to do that. And as soon as they look at it, all of a sudden what they're not allowed to do becomes so much more appealing. story goes that this newspaper writer had a column and he got busy one day and he just didn't have time or inspiration to write a column so it was close to Christmas so he just simply took the Ten Commandments out of the Bible and he just put that in his column without comment just put it in there they printed it and he began to get nasty letters from people that said he's getting too personal because people don't want rules Here's Eve, beloved. She is in the garden and all that the God of heaven had provided for her. All that she had available, all, all the, that she could have enjoyed. Uh, but instead, she doesn't see every tree that you can eat thereof. Oh, no. She sees the one thing that God won't let her have. You know, it's possible that you can be in church, sing the songs, know the Bible, and tonight, rather than rejoicing at all that salvation God, that God has brought you as a Christian, fellowship with God, fellowship of the saints, clean conscience, forgiven, hope, heaven. But all you see is what you cannot do because you are now a Christian. All you see is the forbidden fruit. I can't drink. Why can't I drink? What's wrong with having it? Why can't we have an invasion team to Moldova? <laughs> well, I don't see anything wrong. And your whole life is governed by the thing that God says you can't do. Instead of the deliverer who has said, enjoy this. Look at, look at this. Enjoy this. Eve standing in front of the one tree that she can't eat of. Looking at it. Focusing on, on it. And God now becomes a dictator. He now becomes the tyrant. He now becomes the one who doesn't want you to have good time. Enjoy life. You with me tonight, church? This is a miserable way to serve God. When you live and your eye is on the forbidden, consider Achan tonight. Achan. I mean, talk about a man who was an eyewitness to God's wonderful power. 
He has survived the 40 years. He has been raised in the wilderness. And there he is in that generation that is crossing into the promised land. And if that's not enough, he walks across the Jordan River on dry ground during flood stage. He actually walked across the Jordan River, participated in the miracle of the parting of that water. He goes, the Bible says. He marches around Jericho seven days and seven times on the seventh day. He's one of the people who shouts and sees the mighty walls of Jericho fall to the ground. He sees this with his own eyes. Begins to move towards it and take that city. All that God has done for him. And yet what does he see? He says, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. In other words, he says, you know what? I didn't see the parting of the water. I didn't even pay attention to the fall of the walls. I didn't even consider that after 40 years, we're finally entering the promised land. He said, no, no, no. You know what I saw? I saw what I couldn't have. I saw some gold. I saw some clothes. And somehow that meant more to me than watching walls fall to the ground and seeing a mighty river part. Is he a dictator tonight or a deliverer? Is he just simply holding you back from all the fun you could have? Is your heart tonight filled with repressive desires, urges, and longings and cravings that you keep trying to shove down. Listen to me tonight. You will have a hard time serving God if you wake up every morning trying not to break his commandments. You will have a hard time serving God if you wake up every morning trying not to break his commandments. If all it is about to you tonight is the forbidden tree. That somehow sin has taken the law and made it an occasion of temptation because you want what you're not allowed to have. Paul goes on to write in verses 15 and 16, what I want to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. This is the trap of legalism tonight. Trying to serve God on your own power will cause you to try to fulfill every obligation. Your whole job will be not to fail, not to mess up. Christianity will be to you a bunch of rules, and I mean you're determined really hard to make sure that you hit every mark and you do everything. But the problem tonight, folks, is we are not perfect people, and the trap of legalism is condemnation because you're not perfect. And everything will be about, there's the forbidden tree. I can't have that fruit. I'm not allowed to have that fruit. I don't want that fruit. And you'll be standing in front of it when there's a whole garden, whole orchard. And yet you'll wake up and all you'll think about is what you cannot have. And you'll try and you'll try. 
Verse 24, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Paul says, You know what? He says, I became a, you know, on the outside, I'm a good man, but on the inside, impulses are raging inside of me. Let me close and talk to you about a new law, and we'll finish. Listen to me. Tonight, church, as a Christian, you and I serve a different law. See, Christianity is not just trying harder or turning over a new leaf. This church is not filled with a bunch of goody-two-shoes. But they're men and women that no longer serve the law of sin and death. Beginning of chapter 7, the Apostle Paul used the story of a woman who was married to a man, but that man died, and now she is married to another man, and so she, has the, she is perfectly uh, justified that she no longer is married to the first man. He is dead, and now she has a new husband, and he uses that to illustrate the gospel. A good illustration of this is a story I remember reading years ago, and I've shared it before here, that there was a woman that was married to a man, and the man was just very cruel and dominating. And what this man would do is every morning when he would go to work, he would leave on the kitchen table a to-do list of things that he wanted her to take care of during the day. And then when he came home, he didn't give her a kiss or greet her. He immediately pulled out the list, and he went over it. Did you take care of this? Did you do this? Did you do this? And if she did it, he'd check it off. And if she didn't do it, then he would berate her. He crushed her that way. Well, as time went on, he died, and she didn't kill him, and he died. <laughs> and she ended up meeting another man. This guy was totally different. This guy treated her with dignity and respect, really genuinely loved her, wanted to marry her, and she became his wife. And he treated her entirely different. Drew her close to himself, cared for her, one day, the woman is cleaning out the attic, and as she's going through an old box, she happens to come across one of the to-do lists of her old husband, her first husband. She looks at it. It brings back memories of their relationship and the way he treated her. And as she begins to go through this list, she begins to notice that everything that he demanded of her, she does willingly for her second husband, even though he doesn't demand it. That her relationship, born of love, is causing her to live the life that her first husband tried to get through demand. See, the Apostle Paul says in our text, the first husband is dead. You are now married to Christ. You and I do not live our lives by simply follow this rule, you better do this or else. But the idea there is that you and I have a love relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that relationship, we live for him in a way that we could have never done just simply by trying hard to not sin. That love elevates tonight. That love lifts. That when you and I focus our life on a relationship with God, we have a much better chance of serving him 
than simply focusing on not eating the forbidden fruit. He says in our text, thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I want you to think about that passage of scripture. With my mind, I serve the law of God. With the flesh, the law of sin. Now, people have misunderstood that verse. There used to be a cult back in the first century that uh, took off in those words and, and basically had this idea that you could be, as long as you were very spiritual in your mind, you could do whatever you want with, with your flesh. As long as you talked about Jesus and you sang and you read the Bible and, and in your mind you served the law of God, you know, there was, your, your flesh was hopeless, you would never be able to stop sinning. And there are people that actually think that way. That somehow that God understands. That is not at all what Paul is saying. Literally, the word there means to know or have relationship with. And Paul says, listen, I tried resisting the forbidden fruit. I did everything I could. I told myself again and again, don't do it, don't do it, and yet I did it. He says what I found delivered me was not just simply human effort, but I fell in love with Christ. And I got to know him. And in relationship with him... I discovered a power that I never had simply in my flesh trying to serve the law of sin and death. When I did it in my flesh, I fell miserably. But when I focus on knowing him, I discover a strength that I didn't have in myself. Fascinating passage of scripture, Psalms 104, verse 16. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. The trees of the Lord are full of sap. Now, listen, I'll be the first one to tell you that I am not a horticulturalist or anything like that. But think about that statement, because sap is an amazing thing. Here is this, this fluid that defies the law of gravity coming from the ground into these trees, into these branches, bringing nutrients and life to those trees. The ability for them to push, push upward all the way in these towering trees. And it generates life and health and nutrition. The Bible says the trees of the Lord are full of sap. You know what that's saying? It's saying that what makes you a Christian tonight, what separates you from just being a religious person who's trying to do good, is the life of Christ inside of us. The life of God that comes in us, that we know him. Jesus said it this way in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, you he said, you'll bring forth fruit. There'll be life coming in you. When I became a Christian all those years ago, beloved, it, it was not, uh, all right, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try to, oh, no, no. The life of God came in me. Sap began to come and rise in me and provide life and health and nutrients. And if you say, you know what, if I will concentrate on a relationship with Jesus, And it'll be like I'm in the garden of God and now I'm looking at all the wonderful things that he's provided for me. 
Just like those people in Moldova, you don't even notice the marijuana anymore. Doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Doesn't have that power in you anymore. I believe that there's a truth to be made in the book of Proverbs uh, that the best answer against the immoral woman is to rejoice in the wife of your youth. That victory is not, uh, I don't want to look, I don't want to look, but rejoice. In other words, uh, if you will concentrate on this, you break the power of that. The trees of the Lord are full of sap tonight. Paul says, you know what I decided to do? I decided uh, to know him. We don't have time. If you were to go into Romans chapter 8, when he begins to differentiate between walking in the spirit and being carnally minded, and he goes back and forth, life and peace versus death. You know what? If I will serve him and know him, the power of the forbidden will be broken in my life. Should bow your heads. No one moving about just for a minute. We're waiting on God this evening in this service. I asked a question tonight. Do you know the difference between being a religious person and being a real Christian? See, there are a lot of people that, you know, they, they know the law of God and they, they, they know God and they want God. But their entire life, they're filled with repressive desires. Their entire Christianity is pushing something down inside of them, some urge. The forbidden holds power over them. I'm here to tell you tonight that the life of God can come inside you and you will no longer spend your life focusing on the forbidden tree. But you'll begin to see the wonderful provision that God has made for you tonight. Jesus Christ, God's son, died on a cross for you. He shed his blood. He died in our place because we're sinners and we need forgiveness. He paid the price for us. He suffered for us. The Bible says he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law because we could not. Through Jesus, we could come back to God, to the Father, through him and no other way. That's the gospel tonight. He loves you. You know what else the gospel is? The power to change your life. The Bible says to as many as received Jesus... To them, he gave power to become the sons of God. Tonight, Christianity is more than just rules to live by. It's more than just being forgiven. Christianity is the life of God. It's beginning, sparking inside of you. The Bible calls that being born again, the life of God, the power and the hope of the gospel to change us and set us free. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and Christians are praying, I wonder if there's anybody here saying, you know, Pastor Ruby, I need Jesus in my life. I need the life of God in me. I need forgiveness, I need mercy, and I need power from God. You might have tried religion. You might have tried all kinds of things tonight, but you're empty, you're frustrated, you're condemned. And tonight, Jesus Christ wants to be your deliverer, not your dictator, your deliverer tonight. If you want prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something just to raise your hand. And by raising your hand, you're saying, pray for me, Pastor. I'm not right with God. Here's my hand. Lift it up high where I could see it. Would you pray for me? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands have gone up. Are there any others? Here's my hand. Pray for me. I'm not right with God. 
Would you pray for me? Anybody else? Maybe you're a backslider tonight. God's dealing with you. Lift up your hand. Would you respond? All around this building. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Praise God. Okay, brother, would you come right now? I want to pray for you. Come on. Don't be embarrassed. Come on. Right here, young lady, you lifted your hand. I want you to come. And over here, you lifted your hand. Come on. I want you to come. Sir, would you come? Don't be embarrassed. Make your way. I'm going to ask you to come. I'm just going to kneel right at this altar. And there will be somebody here to pray with you right now. Just thank God. Every one of you come find a place to pray. Thank God for all of these. Are there any others tonight? I'm not right with God. You know, church, Christians get trapped right here. The lure of the forbidden. Something inside of us begins to want what we can't have. And when we're told we can't have it, then we want it even more. There are people here this evening, you are repressing things. You're pushing them down. And, and that's good. I'm here to tell you that there's a better way to live. You can serve the law of Christ tonight. You can serve the law of love. You don't have to serve the law of sin and death. That, that yeah, I'm just going to try harder and try harder. You don't have to spend your time standing in front of the forbidden tree trying not to eat the fruit. Look around and say, all that God has provided for me, all that God has given me. Paul says, you know what? I have decided that I'm going to know him. I'm going to have a relationship with him. Not just come to church, know some Christian people, try to stay out of trouble. I need to know you because when I know you and when I love you, I no longer long for the forbidden. I believe God's speaking to some people tonight. He wants to fill you with sap, man. He wants to fill you with life. Let's stand. And uh, I'm going to open these altars. I believe there are some people here this evening that 